and welcome to Property Matters, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. You can find our weekly property show every Sunday on propertymatterstv.co.uk or by searching Property Matters TV on YouTube or Facebook. Whenever and wherever you're enjoying the show, please get involved by adding your comments in the comments section below. And if you'd like to email us, the address is hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. Property Matters is also available as a podcast from our website and it's available to stream or download from 10 o'clock every Monday after the Sunday episode on any one of those eight podcast platforms that you can see on the screen now. So this week, Joe, we decided to um, move a little bit away from the cost of living crisis because we've (coughs) covered that fairly thoroughly the last few weeks and have a look at some of the more positive aspects perhaps of of property. And uh, the particular first uh, area that we're looking at today, Joe, is the area of small-scale development. So a lot of people saying that uh, buy-to-let has lost its luster, I think one person said in one uh, piece this week, um, and it was once attractive. But uh, there is uh, another way, of course, that you can make money from property. Um, and it's obviously a highly attractive asset class in which you can invest. Um, and that is, of course, small-scale property development. And um, that's transitioning from being a landlord maybe to a property developer. So what is that? Well, it's small scale development typically is looking at uh, five to 20 units. Uh, for example, a group of flats or apartments that you would pro- provide a profit of around 100 to 500,000 over a period of up to two years. And that's considered apparently to be the real sweet spot since these projects are more profitable and many ways more straightforward than self-build or flip and they're too too small for the larger house builders to be bothered with, so you get less competition for the projects. What's your thoughts on small-scale property development, Joe? Yes, it's nice to actually uh, switch off from the uh, the continuing saga of what's been happening in the uh, in the marketplace and <clears throat> look at some of the real advantages, Paul. It's a great, great uh, subject to discuss. Um, Small-scale development um, is, uh, is is almost like a, an upgrade from being a buy-to-let landlord. It's it's like the the next promotion that you can create yourself. So, first of all, <clears throat> it's always about getting yourself a portfolio, getting yourself established in the marketplace as a property waller, as you want to as you, as one would say, somebody who becomes a a guy that is now an entrepreneur in property. Um, and that could come from starting from owning your own home and then into perhaps investing into property because it's one of the most safest um, investments that you're ever likely to make. And then, of course, once you have a portfolio, people tend to start to think, well, actually, you know what, I can do this. I can maybe go and build my own or convert my own properties and actually have a multiple um, operation. And that's when the sort of the, the five to 10 or the five to 100 um, sweet swap a sweet um, spot, as you say, starts to come into into play. Um, almost may sometimes simpler than you actually think it is, um, which I'm sure if we had any of our viewers and listeners, uh, you know, listening in, they will come in and tell you the actual uh, mountain that they have to climb in order to try and get there. But it's not it's not something that's not an impossible task. It's just about the discipline and and, and seeing how things can happen. It's not, and it's not for everyone. Um, I've known of people in, through my journey that have taken that route and just regretted it for many reasons, the reasons we will share here as well. 
um, as, 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 um, as time progresses. Um, but certainly um, it is something that people tend to move on to as their sort of next stage. And there are various stages, Paul, um, of, of uh, development that can be attractive equally there are various stages that become totally unattractive and primarily because you don't bargain for the amount of money that it could cost you and the the, the headache the actual infrastructure could cost you um and um, and that by that i mean the people that you're going to be employing to bring in because there's a lot of people that you've got to bring into your fold this is a guy called Richie Clapson, who's the co-founder of a training company called Property CEO, and he's obviously uh, training people to do this, so he presents the, the positive side of this. So uh, we'll, we'll just talk about it and, and, and look at both sides of the coin, really, I suppose. Um, so this, he's saying that small-scale property development projects have a bigger budget compared to, say, a flip or a refurb, and that means that you can hire an experienced project manager to oversee the work. Um, which is a big plus because obviously you can take a bit of a step back and also larger budget means that you can appoint a proper main contractor rather than say a jobbing builder which gives you obviously a more reliable organisation usually better systems and probably greater abilities. <coughs> yes so <clears throat> let's just break that down for a, for a minute so we start from your your jobbing builder and and the project that needs to be doing um, and into the contractor side of things. So when, when someone is looking to start a project of, of um, a small building um, thing, it depends on what the infrastructure is going to be, Paul. Now, there are many. I mean, if you're going to start from ground zero up, then, um, then you've got to say to yourself that um, um, you've got to say to yourself that um, what is involved that includes um, construction that includes um, foundation that includes architects includes um, small maybe a small builder uh, not a jobbing builder but a small contractor um, it means uh, planning it means um, building regulations it means consultants to come on and do it then it's, it's, a, it's a whole um, uh, area of, of the people that you've got to bring in and manage and structure and, and so in the in the main it sounds really simple but when you start to try and collect these people um into making something happen uh it's quite an interesting task especially when you start to realize that one will often blame the other um and the blame game goes right the way through about why they couldn't do what they said they were going to do at the time that they said they were going to do it in and the cost that they were going to do it in because they've now had to do someone else's good work or, or bad work and make it good to make theirs good. And it just goes on and on. I mean, if I, I could sit here and tell you stories that I get to hear from clients that come in and say why. And not only that, we have sold properties to clients who have then taken on the task of building and refurbishing. And <clears throat> some years later, they are still making good because someone somewhere has let down. So whilst um, this gentleman is, is writing a, a very nice um, article about uh, a dream operation, um, it really isn't the truth in, in reality, uh, unfortunately, because, because you know, human 
touch human nature says that we can't account for what somebody else is going to do um and you know many reasons happen in people's lives which then determine your lives and subsequently your costs um so small builders like building from scratch that is a bigger job than you would really truly imagine there is other areas like conversions so sometimes you can get a bigger older house um you know which has enough space to either extend or convert um into maybe smaller units so for example we might have seen some older um, stately homes or bigger mansions street mansions especially in london when you see that so many things have been converted so many big old houses have been converted into apartments those conversions are a little easier because the infrastructure has already been there the the actual um building exists and it's about you know ripping out the guts um and re replacing the inside in order to make sure but <clears throat> then there is another another part of that that creates a problem and that is that if you are in what we call a listed building of some sort or a property of uh, of heritage there are so many things you just cannot do internally which makes that task even more challenging than you probably started out to think and again i've come across where people have actually literally ripped everything out and then been told that you can't do that and the job's been stopped the you know people get involved british english heritage gets involved all sorts of other people and you could be just sitting there waiting for someone else who actually has no financial input other than the fact that it becomes a bit of a bureaucratic situation where you know this is not the right way to do this and therefore we're going to tell you how you do it and actually they determine how much you spend and how much money you waste so it's not not as easy as it is however it can be very very fruitful um yeah he says um, it's not not often a case that you do a new build because you've got to get planning permission for that. So it's often the case that you go, for, like you say, for a conversion project. So that's going to be an office or a shop or a bank or large house, as you say, restaurant, light industrial buildings, and they go into a, 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 apartments. And he also says, of course, the government has recently granted comprehensive permitted development rights that allow you to change the use of these buildings to residential without needing the full planning permission. So it means there's less planning risk in doing it that way yes there is and and the the government did produce a white paper allowing permitted development rights which meant that there was a lots of use less properties in other words properties that were not used for their actual purpose any longer and offices were certainly one of those things and equally some shops in some of the some of the secondary or, or, or prime locations that were being having said that the local authority still has a certain input to see what that area is going to look like and why why they so you imagine walking down a high street a fully fledged high street and there's a shop lying empty and somebody says well actually i'm going to just turn this into a flat it's not something as easy as easy as that because they will need to justify why that shop hasn't been rented or isn't lettable before it uh, can be considered to convert into a flat so sometimes it's, it's it's quite misleading to say oh this is easy but actually it could get quite complicated um, but yes in certain other aspects it is it is um, been made easier from planning point of view to say that you could do this um, and make sure that um, you know it makes it easier for for people to convert 
um, maybe a shop or an office or a or a cafe or whatever, and into into a, a residential. But the question you have to ask when you do all of those things is: Is residential ultimately everything? I mean, sometimes um, a good commercial uh, retail unit might be situated in a, a fairly good location, which means that you could actually let that out to a business um, that is likely to give you a better return and, and less headache than perhaps a residential. So it doesn't always, it's always about the numbers, Paul, at the end of the day. It's about what makes sense um, that works. The office situation that was there has been there for some while now, some number of years, and mostly has been exhausted. And if it hasn't been exhausted, it's become extremely expensive because the aspiration for people that own freehold office blocks have become far greater over the last you know, three to four years. You can imagine that house prices have gone up, so subsequently their desire to achieve a better price for a freehold office to convert has gone up. Um, and subsequently the building costs have gone up and, and so forth and it goes in. So it's not as, as attractive as it could be um, the sweet spot for such things are perhaps a little bit more remote um, and the, the, those are available but then of course the problem with being remote is that they aren't um, in what we call good communication areas so you know somebody who's going to rent one of those converted properties isn't going to be near a transport communication system or or, or near a, a you know small shopping parade or something like that where where they can get their other other um, conveniences if it's stuck in the middle of nowhere so imagine you go out in the country and there's a an office park and that office park has got a, a block lying empty and somebody goes along and buys that block and then converts it into flats unless somebody's going to buy to live there you know as a resident but those that are going to buy to let and then let those the tenants are going to have desires because they're only there short term they have a desire for conveniences and the conveniences are such thing as can i get there by rail can i get there by you know motorway do i have enough parking spaces and so forth so all of those things tend to um come into uh, into equation when you try and do an office and there are those are are available um i've, I've come across those but because they're remote they don't always um, have the same desire as perhaps in a town um, and and the ones that are in the town are either been taken up by you know larger developers or are taken up by people that um, turn them into sort of little rabbit hutch and that's the other problem that they have with conversions under the permitted development rights they didn't have a given size as a minimum so we found that there were many properties, many studios, were, which were no more than a, you know, a hotel room for argument's sake, uh, you know, a bed and a, and a little coffee area and a, and a bathroom. Um, and so that's okay to rent maybe in the short term, but ultimately it becomes difficult to sell because they were under a certain size that mortgage lenders. So there are so many roll on issues that have to be taken into consideration. Indeed. And uh, looking at um... I think this is probably Guy coming into us. Morning, gents. I know of a property that started as a grand house around 1900, then got converted into a church, then to four flats, then two flats got knocked together, so they were three flats, and then the ground floor and basement flats got knocked together, so they were two flats. And honestly, I now think the property could possibly have more value as a one bedroom or as a one home again. <laughs> That's quite a story. Um 
Absolutely, you know, um, and and again, because it is where it is, and I mean, we've said that. Thank you very much, Guy, uh, for, for 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 joining us, and um, um, always uh, invaluable input from Guy Charison. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, and I've seen those guys. I've seen where, where they completely converted and then gone back to it. And actually, the problem with going back to it sometimes is the complete hash up that they made inside of it during that journey. Um, and perhaps lost its original charm, and now you sort of have this sort of modern uh, inter inside as opposed to what it would have been in a character. Not that everybody loves character. I was talking to somebody only the other day, and uh, it was it, it was interesting that uh, how how lesser people like the character purely because it costs them so much more to retain the character to find craftsmen that could actually do, for argument, sash windows. Um, it's just ridiculous um, and, the, and the charge for them. So it's just as easy to, to take the window frame out and stick a UPVC double glazing unit in it. But of course, English Heritage says no. Um, and, and so there's, there's lots of other areas that become challenging uh, in, in, that, uh, in, in, that, in this conversion. You're right, Guy, it's probably now worth more as a house anyway. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he talks, uh, Richie Clapsy, he talks about the develop, developer playing more of an executive role uh, and, and not really sort of getting into the nitty-gritty of the day-to-day, -day, having regular calls and updates from the project manager who would be banging heads together. And you can see some of the logic in it because, you know, presumably if you're in a situation where you're taking a task like this on or you're thinking about doing this sort of thing, you've probably had a managerial or senior role in a company um, in, your, in your professional life. So a lot of the skills that a developer's going to need are managerial skills, organisational skills, people skills, decision-making skills. Uh, and, and these are the skills that people are using day to day. So there are quite a few transferable skills, perhaps. I agree. There are there are definitely transferable skills, Paul. There's no no question about that. There is a mindset of the type of person that can handle such projects. However, I have to say that they are completely going to be out of their depth um, in in what is a theory management as opposed to what is a practical management. Um, and the practical management um, will bring in people um, and their and their personal circumstances which you have to handle in a very different way and every tradesperson will always blame another tradesperson for not being ahead or, or behind the task that they have because somebody else hasn't done what they so it's always going to be a blame game and you have got to be a really patient um, executive if you want to call yourself that to be able to manage that situation um, and um, of course you will save money by doing it yourself because if you bring in a, a project manager um, it's just another tier that you're creating for yes to give a role because unless of course you're in a, a very high flying um, job which gives you a tremendous income and this is becomes a hobby and you're trying to do something on the side that will make it then you can afford to get a, a project manager and, and listen to him or her to tell you what's going on. And him or her will tell you all the problems that they've had. It's just down the line. It's a bit like a, you know, a, a pyramid situation. It's going to be the next person's issue, next person's problem. 
But if you <clears throat> want to take it on yourself, then you are, you've got to weigh up the cost of and the value of your own time and time wasted as opposed to what you could earn in a proper job, as they would say, which you all might be good at doing. So, so you've got to think very carefully about that. But yes, some of those skills are transferable, no question uh, in my mind about that, but I think you'll find that they're very different skills. He suggests that you need an architect to head up the design side, you need a contractor to undertake the construction, a project manager to oversee the whole thing, and he also suggests that perhaps you might consider having a planning consultant to minimise any risk on that side of things, and also a health and safety consultant to, show, to ensure you're meeting all the regulatory requirements. Well, there you have it, Paul. I mean, you, you imagine having four or five people that you are now trying to get together in a room at the same time to say, what are the problems? First of all, you've got to find them all because they've all got different projects to manage. You're never going to get them in. Secondly, I mean, the good thing, I suppose, that exists now is things like Zoom meetings and so forth, but people will hide behind all sorts of things and not to get the thing done. As a business, as a business and the guy who's running the business as a development and putting money in, take putting his hand in his pocket to make something happen, you really, really have to have a thick skin and understand that there will be issues. I do not agree with the textbook style of this can be done and it's okay. One size does not fit all at all in this situation. You have to understand that everyone is going to have a huge problem. I have known of projects that could have done, been done in, you know, six, nine months, maybe maximum 12 months, let's say even the worst 18 months. Four years later, they're still arguing about what the consultant for the planning says is right and what the architect says is right. And so forth. subsequently, the size doesn't work or the situation doesn't fit into the frame and so forth and so forth. And then, of course, we have the red tape of the local authority. You could be stuck in the system with the local authority for not weeks, days, for months, possibly even years. Um, and that is all money that is coming out of your so-called profit that you're going to make. Sometimes it's almost worth saying, you know what, it's not for me. And that's part of the reason the big guys end up taking some of the jobs because they have the infrastructure, they have created all those and for you as a small jobbing new developer, you've got to put these people and you've got to trust them to make sure that they give you the right guidance and advice in the given time. And those are the challenges that you have to, um, to bear, bear in mind. Joe is right. Always a very popular comment on Facebook for you, Joe. Joe is right. Some of the uh, PD conversions are going to be difficult to sell. Less than 300 square feet means it'll be unmortgageable. That's one comment. And then also the key to development is being well organised and not having many changes along the way, which I think is a, a fair point. Also talking about the, the money side of it, Joe, um, that splits into two sides, according to Richie. Asset finance to buy the land or the property and development finance for the, for the development cost. He says that um, specialist commercial lenders will usually lend you up to 70% of the asset finance, which means you will need to find a deposit of around 30% to buy the land. However, many lenders are happy for you to borrow the bulk of this deposit uh, from uh, private investors who typically earn between 8 and 10% return on their cash annually, leaving you to fund only a fraction of the deposit yourself. 
at the very same and the very same commercial lender will lend you 100% of the development finance to cover all the development costs a fair bit of cash is involved but most of it comes from other people so you're not risking your own money what's your thoughts on that mm. interesting there's no such thing as a free lunch we know that um and um so i think when you when you find that um first of all there are I think probably less than a handful of developers, sorry, a handful of financial institutions in the, the given mainstream that would ever consider lending to a novice developer as much money as they can. I mean, they would spend years trying to analyze why they should even think about it. So that takes you to a particular niche of lender which are mostly bridging firms and firms that will look at it for 18 to maybe maximum 24 months, really it's 12 months to 18 months as a project task. task. Um, and yes, of course, they will lend gladly because they are gonna charge you handsomely to do it. Um, and um, uh, they will also have lesser requirements as long as their risk is covered, their, their value is covered in, in the project. Um, and that's probably where most people tend to sort of veer towards. Um, and that's what makes it easier to borrow money. And that's what this gentleman's talking about, that there are lenders, commercial lenders, that will give you both um, building money, development money, as well as the purchase of the land or the property money. Um, and the problem with that is that they then are holding it. So, you know, if, the, if someone says to you, you can do this for nothing, and we'll get everybody else to put their money. It's like having a, a board of directors and you're the chairman and you've got all these people now telling you because they put their 10 pences worth in, how they want you to run your project. What do you think the likelihood of that project ever getting off the ground when you've got too many cooks <laughs> um, yeah. that are gonna be able, that are gonna tell you how they want you to do this because obviously they've got money in it. So unless, you know, it's no, no pain, no gain, unless you put your own money into this and run this yourself and you have the, 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 the support and the mechanism, uh, it's a textbook attraction that will attract people into something that they think they can do. And until they actually get into it, you know, when it's too late, when you're in it, you're, you're, you're in it now, both feet, your money's tied up, you probably secured it against an asset, you've got lots of things that are now at risk, and all of a sudden, the next thing you know is, you know, someone else, it's, it's the old adage, I use it all the time, it's about the dog and the tail, or the tail and the dog, and the question here is, who's gonna be wagging who? And I'll tell you now, it'll be your lender that'll be wagging the tail, <laughs> wagging the dog, as opposed to the other way around, because, you know, they, they, they are the ones that have the majority of the control. They lend the money. So they're going to say, well, if you don't do it this way, we're going to tell you to do this, this, this. And if you don't do that, we'll take it off of you and we'll still charge you for the money. And you. So it's, it's, you know, be careful. All I say, I think it's really fun. It's really attractive, exciting to do. But um, it's not as um, easy as it's made out to be. Well, it's interesting, actually, because he concludes by saying pretty much the same thing. Please do your due diligence before you jump in. Make sure you know what you're getting into. Property development's an amazing way of creating worth, but it's not easy. Uh, 
as with all business ventures, reducing the risk is important. So I think that's an interesting look at uh, small scale property development. Thought that would be an interesting topic to cover when everything else is all about the cost of living crisis. So uh, we're, and we're going to try and stay away from that as much as possible today. So let's look at our second story today. And probably this will be our final one because we've spent half an hour talking about that one. But uh, I think it was interesting to get into it. It's the time to fix the buying process to add more rental stock to the market. So this is about buy-to-let investing, Joe. It's uh, not the the right career choice for the work shy, a bit like our last topic. While it's often uh, um, a hugely rewarding uh, thing to do, buy-to-let, both in the financial sense and knowing that also you're helping to contribute high-quality homes for people to live in, um, given the turbulence in the wider economic situation right now, you'd be forgiven for assuming that buy-to-let investing might have taken a dip in popularity. But um, this post here from James Brocklebank says that's not the case. UK property continues to serve as one of the most dependable reliant asset classes, which is what you say every week. The demand for rental property among tenants is reaching record highs, creating an enormous runway for buy-to-let investments to continue to grow as an invest investor um, section. Uh, according to Zoopla, demand for tenants is up a staggering 43% on last year, and the average rental property receives 30 to 40 inquiries. And what's more, landlords are becoming savvier and more knowledgeable about the best ways to invest. In particular, the proportion of landlords forming limited companies uh, through which they buy their property is rising fast. They say that uh, this, this first half of this year, um, the number of people making limited companies to in, to do buy-to-let has moved, gone up from 50% to 62%, um, and they're doing two and a half times more property companies uh, setting them up um, at the moment than they did one year ago. So it seems that everyone's getting the message that buy-to-let is still um, somewhere where you can uh, to get some, um, some, some, some fruit for your labours, I suppose, and certainly looking at the demand from tenants up to 43% year on year, that would make sense. Unquestionably, and I would say to all those who are listening and viewing that um, your safest investment still, without a shadow of a doubt, will be buy to let. Um, yes, it has its ups and downs, but it is not as encumbrant as perhaps trying to be a small time developer. But without a shadow of a doubt, if you purchased correctly and you purchased in the right areas and where the demand is, um, then you will certainly um, bear fruit from your good labours of investing into property that you can buy to uh, rent, buy to let. There is a huge demand, as you can see, Paul's giving you the figures there. I mean, 40 odd percent increase in potential tenants that are looking and um, 40 odd inquiries for pretty much every property that comes on. If the property, and I'll say this very clear, if the property is a lettable property, if you're gonna present rubbish, then expect rubbish. You know, you've got to be able to make sure that the property is nicely presented. It is what you would like to live in, not emotionally, not with fl pretty flowers and, you know, colourful things, but something that is clean, tidy, manageable, and there will be a tenant for that property at the right money because people are keen to, to rent. And I imagine that over the next 24 months, maybe three years or whatever, the rental market is going to be a very strong market. We talk about the people that come out of the rental market. Those are perhaps people that have had stock that's been in there for some time. They've had the full benefit of that stock and they now maybe have got lower leases and decide that it's time to exit. And the media picks up 
those situations, there are so many people that are coming out of the buy-to-let. What they don't understand is they're coming out of the buy-to-let primarily for financial reasons, not personal reasons. And financial reasons could be as this. One is that the lease is maybe lower on the flat or the property that they have, and therefore it's going to cost them probably anything from 15, 20,000 to maybe 50,000, depending, and maybe even half a million if you're sitting in central London, to actually extend the lease. And therefore they say to themselves, well, that is a hell of a lot of capital for me to now throw into extending a new lease is better for me to cut because I've earned uh, the last 15, 20 years good rental money, let somebody else have this at a lower price. They can invest and extend the lease and subsequently they'll have another 15, 20 years worth of income. So there are reasons and logical reasons and I have those conversations quite a lot and I'm sure guys have millions, millions of conversations like that where it makes eminent sense financially for those people to say, you know what, Instead of me plowing in money to extend the lease, let somebody else do that, but I'll sell it cheap so that I can get out and move that. The money that they get back from that property, they then tend to plow into perhaps another newer property into a different location, a different area where they can continue to manage. The media always forgets to pick up the fact that those people have now bothered to invest their money that they took out into another project. The country cannot, and we know, cannot build enough quick enough to provide the homes that they wanted. It's been a farce and it's not happened so far. So private landlords are the source for most people for buy to let. And there's no reason in my mind why I can say to you that you shouldn't. And yes, maybe the route to buy to let is through a formation of a company because of the taxation benefits it has. One good thing about having a formation of a company is it disciplines you because you start to say to yourself, well, I've got to do the returns. I've got to put all these receipts in. I've got to do this. And, it, it, and in, in a way, it's a good management skill that it could probably put you under. Whereas when you do them as a one or two private rental, you kind of become flippant and think, oh, well, I'll do that tomorrow. And it kind of never happens. Not to say that you're not making money. It just doesn't discipline you into perhaps building a portfolio that you could do under a limited company because once you have the appropriate um, status of a limited company that has have got now a, a good good um, financial status you can go to uh, a lender and they will lend you further buy to let um, uh, funding based on your skills and sets and company accounts that you've actually created in order to do that so there's a lot of pluses in that and I agree that there's still a good market and I, I would certainly encourage buy to let as um, an ongoing good you know um, investment investment of your own just your entire your own time value so if you got a good job and you actually are looking to invest some of your money into something good and that you can manage buy to let I still think is it's got some legs for what it's worth um, in my opinion Guy certainly agrees with you. He says, uh, I was taught over 40 years ago, the quality of the property will determine the quality of the tenant. One of the things that has not changed in the last 40 years. Uh, one of the things that uh, a lot of the uh, uh, research in this uh, article talks about is the, the process of buying the property itself, getting the buy-to-let property in your ownership. 70% of um, 70, this is a survey, by the way, by Get Ground, 
that uh, surveyed landlords or potential landlords uh, through the summer, several hundred of them, 77% of landlords told them that the process of buying a property decreased their appetite to buy. Four in five of them, 78% reported that at least one of the buy-to-let transactions had fallen through and almost every single one, 95%, said the cost of buying the investment had increased in the last 12 months. And um, 88% said that the reduced time taken to complete or reducing the time to complete a purchase is the key to improving the buying process. Kind of obvious that one. 71% said that uh, better ways to source good property and the same proportion also believe lowering transaction costs could make the process better. So it seems that it's still a really tricky process to try and get the right type of property. Yes, it is. I suppose we all, all want to find the cheapest property with the maximum return. There's no question about that. Um, it's, it's kind of an old adage, really. Um, but the reality is um, you've got to look at the areas, and I will continue to say, look at the communication centres and where you're going to be looking to buy and, and try and forward think um, where that's going to be so that you can buy right um, and you can invest early and you can find where people are going to look to to rent um, those properties. Um, I can't, absolutely cannot stand for uh, the conveyancing aspect of it. It's, it's, it's archaic um, and it takes forever to do some of the most simple things that you want them to do. Um, and that's down to the individual to find a, a conveyancing company, a, a company that they have faith and trust in and be able to make sure that they can actually get the process done uh, much quicker. It doesn't actually cost a great deal more, but the, what the problem is, is the time that kills it. So you lose your, so you lose your will to live almost when someone says, I'll do this for you. And it's a simple transaction. It's lying empty. You want to buy it. You've got yourself a funding and it just could take three months for nothing for just table tennis you know, this question, that question, this question, that question. Um, and, and so with that in mind, of course, you know, the legals will do all of that because they want to cover their back. They want to be responsible for nothing. Um, and you want it done quickly and subsequently uh, you're losing out and you're the one that's always going to lose out because everybody else is going to blame somebody else that is not happening for. So um, you can't change that. I, it's, it's there forever. You just got to find a right medium a happy medium with the right person and hopefully that relationship can blossom into something that you can develop regularly and, and more often and, and have the comfort to buy every investment property through that source however uh, that doesn't mean to say that uh, it's a wrong thing to do um, and forward thinking is very very good um, and and you should look at the infrastructure and whilst every time we, we moan about certain national infrastructure creations that are done it is those national infrastructure creations that actually give you the wealth. Um, so whilst one could moan about um, things that are not right for the environment, right for the countryside, right for that, look at where those lines are going to go. Look at the trains, where they're going to go, where they're going to stop and where the new stations are going to be and where the new areas are going to move into. And the further you go out, the lesser they cost, the better chance that somebody's going to buy or rent there. There's the hint. Uh, so, you know, look, look, look at those um, communication areas that are going to make your future um, brighter and, and cost effective. 
And uh, one final comment from uh, Guy, he's talking about lease extensions. Investors shouldn't forget about buying freehold ground rents because you can get 5% return and have potential for substantial premiums for lease extensions in the future. That's something I think Guy specialises in, isn't it, uh, Joe? Absolutely. And I think Guy's absolutely right. People are, I've been selling a few um, freehold ground rents uh, lately and I know Guy has done that um, uh, historically a lot. and it is, uh, again, it's something that some people can make good returns on. And equally, um, those that have the shorter leases on those will have to come back to the landlords to um, you know, uh, increase their, their leases in terms of there's the premiums to be paid. So, you know, there's, sometimes there are other aspects of our business, our property business, that are suited for some and not suited for others, but they actually all give some sort of reward and return and whether you have a good management structure and you decide to go out and buy lots of potential freeholds. I mean, I've got clients that just simply buy freeholds and don't do anything else because they manage that situation through ground rents, through service charges, through maintenance, and then of course through lease extensions and so forth. So, and that is definitely one of Guy's uh, skills and um, you know, he knows everything there is to know about that. I don't, but I would normally refer to him. And that's the thing, isn't it, really? I mean, with both of the stories that we've covered today, the the first and most important thing to stress is get some professional advice before you go into anything, know exactly what you're walking into. Yeah, no question. And and don't be don't be deluded by the idea that it's easy. It's simple. It's it's something that is textbook. It's not. Um, you know, we're here, guys here for many years. Guy joins our program uh, quite often to give his uh, view. I'm here. I've done 40 plus years, probably basically about that. Give or take a, a few months, the same as Guy has. And we've gone through all of those uh, with developers, buy to let, you name it. Um, and we're here to help you guide that through and we'll give you guidance towards the people that we believe are correct for your team if they fit, you know, in, in what you're looking to do. So. Uh, Property Matters is here as a programme for you. And it's a delight to say that we've got through this programme without working, mentioning the word mortgage. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> but you just did. <laughs> no! <laughs> yes, we decided to leave the cost of living crisis alone this week. It's a cost of living crisis free zone this week on Property Matters. We hope you appreciated that. We've not even mentioned politics either, which is another great thing not to have done this week. So we'll be back. We can't promise we won't do it next week, but we'll be back with another Property Matters at 10 o'clock next weekend. (laughs) 